You're listening to the Pursue God Men's Podcast, the official channel for biblical manhood at PursueGod.org. Find resources to talk about it with your family, men's group, or mentor at PursueGod.org forward slash men. Okay, John, today we're in week four of our Breakthrough Discipline series. And, you know, we, we've talked about a couple of the expected disciplines, prayer and fasting. Today's topic is probably pretty unexpected. I bet you some of the guys listening are would not have seen this coming. Yeah, I think for men in particular, today's topic is going to be one that almost may seem counterintuitive. I think it's the one that's going to cause more of us to say, well, that's just not possible, guys. You don't you don't know what my life is like. You don't know my situation. And we're talking about the spiritual discipline of pacing ourselves for breakthrough. And I can already feel the tension. So listeners, I'm, I'm with you. I get it. I mean, I'm a husband. I'm a father of four. I, I shepherd a church with over 400 in attendance on Sundays. I, I'm a content creator. I'm an outdoorsman, a neighbor, a friend, you know, on and on, however your list would fill out. So I feel the tension as much as anyone. And I want to say up front so that I'm, I'm speaking to you guys with integrity. I'm probably the worst at this discipline of the ones we're going to cover. So I'm not speaking to guys today, Brian, as someone who has it all figured out. I'm still working on this. I will say, though, that my life is better when I have some pacing, when I have a sustainable rhythm. It makes me a better dad. It makes me a better husband. It makes me a better pastor. And there's just something in our culture and and something in, I think, wired in men as providers and leaders that Again, it just seems counterintuitive. I remember there used to be a popular poster that you would see in a lot of businesses called The Essence of Survival, and it had a lion sitting on it, and it would tell the story that every day when the sun comes up on the savanna, if you're an antelope, you have to run faster than the fastest lion to survive, and if you're a lion, you have to run faster than the slowest antelope to be able to get a meal. And at the end of the little story, it says the bottom line is when the sun comes up, you better be running. And and I know that's how a lot of guys feel, but I would just say God doesn't just want us to survive. God wants us to thrive. Jesus said he came that we might have a full and abundant life. And sometimes that means we need to put on the brakes. Yeah. And again, it's a counterintuitive and I, I think we both of us should should say this at the outset. Th- there's a tension here because we are like hard driving guys. We we raise our sons and and our daughters to work hard, and so we're not saying, you know, today we're going to be talking about pacing, and we're not saying that we everyone should just take a break every day and sit back and play video games and and relax and stop running so hard in life. We're not, we're not exactly saying that. We're just saying that if you don't understand, and boy, we both have, I think some, I have a, some real personal connection to this topic. If you don't have some pacing in your life as a follower of Jesus, then you're in, you're in for some trouble. And we see this all over the place in the scriptures. Jesus said, Matthew 6, don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive, there's that word, they strive after these things they push hard, they they run after, they seek after, they're just go, 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 go. But Jesus is saying, your heavenly father knows that you need them. So there's a balance in the Christian life where we, we, there is, we do work hard. We do work, we do go hard after things in life, but yet 
we we know how to rest in Jesus. Yeah, I think that's great. I think we've probably all read the the bumper stickers or the t-shirts that say work hard, play hard. And I think that's I think that's good. And then I would add a third one, you know, rest hard, <laughs> which obviously, you know, <laughs> it shouldn't be hard to rest, but 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 we do need to recharge. We do need some pacing. It's part of God's design. I mean, we're going to get into this, but from the very beginning, God set a pattern of work and rest. And and it's more than you know, it's more than just not going to your nine to five as we get into some of these disciplines. There's ways for us to develop this habit of pacing even in the middle of our workday. So we're not saying that the only way to pace is, you know, is to leave. That we are going to talk about solitude, right, Brian? But it's more than that. There's ways to develop pacing habits even within the busyness of our day. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about four different four different disciplines. It's kind of a four for one. There are four different disciplines that we would categorize under this overall idea of pacing yourself, pacing yourself for spiritual breakthrough. And the first one is to is to slow down. It literally the word is slowing. So slowing is intentionally putting yourself into a situation that's going to teach you to wait. It's the opposite of a hurried life. A hurried life keeps us from being present enough to love God and to love people. And so this, this the first part of this pacing is just to learn to intentionally slow down. And man, John, that is like some of the guys listening right now are like, what in the world are you talking about? Who would do that? Who in their right mind puts themselves in a situation that makes you wait? I mean, I can just yeah, I can just picture what guys are thinking. Most of us, when we pull into a McDonald's that has two lanes in the drive-through, even as we're pulling in, we're calculating, okay, the left or the right, you know, which one is mm. going to get us our, our McDouble two minutes faster. And then if we make the wrong choice, you know, it's like our dog died. We're like, oh man, I can't believe I picked the right lane instead and I of the always left lane. The wrong, I always, get, I don't know about you, John, but I always guess wrong. I'm so bad at this. I have to almost do the opposite of what I think because I think, but I think it's God trying to teach me, you know? Yeah. I think that's a great point that, that if you find yourself getting frustrated, if you pick the slowest lane at the checkout or the slowest lane at the restaurant or whatever, and you find yourself getting aggravated or mad, that's, that's probably a warning sign that you need more pacing in your life. Even the way we drive, you know, you get behind somebody that's driving the speed limit. It seems like they're going so slow. Well, they're just doing what they're supposed to do. They're going the speed limit. Now, I do want to throw out that means if you're not in the left lane. If you're in the left lane, guys, you you need to <laughs> you need to get going and then get back over and get out of the way. Yeah, let's not let's not be ridiculous here. Come on. <laughs> But but think about that. I I know we're going to talk about some practical ways to slow here in a minute. And you know one of the practical ways is don't take the fast lane. Mm. Just stay out of that left lane for one trip to work each week or, oh, or one trip so to the hard. store or whatever. And again, I know that's making some guys almost twitch when they hear that. But that's probably a sign that you need some pacing in your life. Yeah, for me, yeah, if we get to some practical examples of this, for me, here here's one of the ways I slow. And I still do this to this day. Once I first learned this discipline, I still do this is to take the long route. So I, you know, I, I usually I take Thursdays off and a, a lot of times I'll golf with some buddies at this, at a course out West. And instead of taking the direct route where I take the interstate and it's shorter and quicker, I intentionally give myself more time 
and I take the long way. And it's kind of backcountry roads. It's longer by distance. It's it takes longer, but it's been really good for me, John. To it, it's I know some guys will be like, "Wait, you're calling that a spiritual discipline?" Yeah, actually, I am. It's a spiritual discipline to take the country roads instead of the instead of the highways because I'm trying to I'm trying to teach myself to slow down. And let's connect this with with the biblical instruction that tells us to do this, right? This isn't just something that Brian and John dreamed up. This is biblical. We'll give you a couple of examples. Maybe the most powerful one to me is Psalm 4610. God says, be still and know that I am God. There's a command there to, to slow down, be still. You know, rest and, and trust that I'm in control, that I that I am God. It goes on and says, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. And so you mentioned taking the the long way to work. I think that's a very practical way to to try and bring slowing into your life. You know, not getting in the shortest line at the store. We joked about that, but but not intentionally trying to get in the shortest line. Or when you're in line, being kind to that cashier, to that person that's working the checkout. Ask them how their day is going. You know, don't be in such a rush to go. Here's another one that I think of that that maybe has a, a slightly different application, but it does teach us to slow down and be patient. And that's not buying things on credit, you know, not, not saying, Oh, well, I, I have to have this today and I don't really have the money, but I've got a credit card. So I'm going to go ahead and buy this new thing. No, hold off on that purchase, slow down, let God work in that. That's good. Yeah. That's like slowing financially. I, you know, I think John, there's something about when I think about a hurried life, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think about what is, What's at the root of this? I think it's a couple of things come to mind. I think it's, well, first of all, selfishness. I'm making everything about me, whether it's buying something on credit or trying to get in the fast lane. I'm not thinking about the other person and their day and what's going on for them. I'm just thinking about, you know, me. I'm just thinking about my time's more important than yours. My day's more valuable than yours. So it's, I'm not putting people first. I'm not putting God first. I'm just putting me first. I'm like, I'm elevating myself in my hurried life. Yeah, I, I totally feel that way every time I find myself <laughs> driving uh, with the wrong attitude. When I really stop and think about it, it, I mean, that's exactly what you said. I think you articulated it perfectly. I feel like my errands and my schedule is more important than everyone around me. Man, what a what an uncrust Christ-like attitude to have. Now. Realistically, some of you may be thinking, I don't even know where to start. And so I just would encourage you to have pacing in your life, particularly this discipline of slowing. You're going to have to learn how to say no. You're, you're going to have to learn how to prioritize what's really important and what's critical if you're going to give yourself opportunities to slow down. So think about this. You need to have some buffers in your schedule. If your schedule is literally so packed that that being 10 or 20 minutes late to your first meeting throws your whole day off, you can't get back on track, I would say you need to look for ways to create some more buffer. So again, we're not saying don't work hard. I mean, Brian's one of the hardest working guys I've ever met. Um, we have a lot of irons in the fire. We're doing a lot of different things. Hard work is a great thing, but you do have to learn how to say no. You do have to learn how to prioritize things because you have to have a little buffer in your schedule to slow. Well, even for guys who are doing it in the name of Jesus, I mean, this is good. This is good for both of us to hear, but probably some of our 
listeners who are in ministry or leaders at their churches, that's awesome. I mean, you're, you're our kind of guys. Like one of the reasons we put this podcast out is for men like you, godly men who are hard charging, but it, it's even easy, I think, to justify our hurried lifestyle because we think we're doing it all for, for God. But we see that in Matthew 17. This is where the, tr- this, the passage of the transfiguration, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain to, to reveal his glory to them. And, it, and it's a, <laughs> this passage says that Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. I, this, is, this is such a funny passage to me, John, because I see myself in this passage. You know, Jesus, it's just, he's just trying to spend time with his, his inner circle. And there, you know, Peter's just like kind of speaking nonsense. It's like he's, he's just like, let us get to work. We want to get to work for you, Jesus. We want to build some shelters. Like, let us get to work for you. And Jesus, God, the father says, would you just listen? Would you just slow down and listen? You're so busy trying to do stuff for Jesus. And God, the father says, why don't you just listen? Why don't you just enjoy the presence of Jesus right now? Man, that's a powerful thought. Yeah, I never really thought about this. I mean, I've read that story a hundred times, but just as you were talking, it, it's the harder thing is to just be. The harder thing is to just, you know, it's it's easier, especially for men, I think, who, you know, we, we tend to use our hands more. We, we just, it's easier to be busy. It's easier to be busy. You know, it's easier for me to go into the church and rake leaves or fix a plumbing issue or do these different things than it is to just sit and and listen to a guy pour his heart out about how his marriage is struggling, you know, but the, the latter is so much more important than whether or not the leaves get raked. So yeah, we, we just got to slow down and listen sometimes. Yeah. I went to, I went to seminary at Wheaton college and I remember one of the classes I took, the prof was talking about spiritual disciplines. And I don't remember that he called this slowing, but basically he said, here's your assignment today. It was a nice spring day. He said, I want everyone to go I want everyone to go out on a walk for an hour and I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to read your Bible. I don't want you to, I, he, he was basically challenging us to slow down and to learn how to connect with God that wasn't connected to work, 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 activity, activity, activity. And I remember just, I mean, it stuck with me for years. Still, I still remember that day. That was so hard for me. That was so unnatural for me because for me, spiritual disciplines were reading the Bible and prayer and fasting. Like it was those things. It was work, 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 work. And and he said, this counts. I want you to know that this counts. If you think about your day, 24 hours in the day as where where did I do something for God? He, He was trying to get us to understand not doing anything counts, like slowing counts. And that was so counterintuitive to me. Well, slowing is the one that, maybe is the is the newest for guys maybe you know maybe you've never even thought of that concept i think this next one that we're going to talk about is one that's a little more familiar it's one that we see modeled in scripture a lot by jesus and that is solitude see, a crowded life gives the world permission to shape us into its mold and solitude is withdrawing from the constant barrage of simulation uh, to let god transform us and so I, Just read one passage here where we see Jesus model it, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 31. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. 
he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And in the context of this, guys, the disciples had just come back from their first missionary journey without Jesus. He had, he had sent them out, sent them out two by two, and they were healing and they were delivering people from demonic possession. They were teaching the gospel. And they've come back, and now they're you know they're debriefing with Jesus. They want to tell him how everything went. He wants to spend time with them. There were so many people seeking an audience with Jesus. They didn't get a chance to do it. They didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus knows their need for rest, and so he's going to take them to try and get away from the noise of the crowds. Yeah, it says in verse 45, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself. Here it is again. He went up into the hills by himself to pray. So Jesus, this was always something that I had a hard time relating to, that Jesus had this back and forth between time alone, solitude, that he needed solitude, and yet the busyness of his ministry life. And I think there's something about that, at least for me, my personality, John, where, where it's like solitude makes me feel selfish. When I have time alone, it makes me feel selfish. I, I used to, I love to golf, but for the longest time, I would, I refused to golf by myself. I, it just felt selfish to golf by myself. I don't, I can gladly say I've been delivered from that lie. I don't have that problem anymore because I, I recognize the value now of solitude. Well, you're holier than me because I've never struggled <laughs> with feeling like solitude was selfish. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I am an extrovert. Uh, every time I take the personality test, it, it affirms that I'm an extrovert, but I'm not, I'm not a high E. And so I, I love being around people. I love, I'm not, you know, I'm not uncomfortable in big crowds. I'm not uncomfortable initiating conversation with strangers. But I don't recharge that way. I never have. I recharge in solitude. Um, we were just talking about this last night with with another couple that my wife and I were doing some counseling with, and we talked about how my wife has in in just her generosity to me, her care for me, her understanding of me. She knows that I need almost a at least a half a day just to buy, just by myself, probably. You know, if not every week, certainly every other week, I need four or five hours where I'm I'm hiking or I'm I'm fishing or I'm I'm doing something where no one else is around because that's how I recharge so that I can be hard driving in the crowd, so that I can be the guy that's gonna go up and shake hands with that stranger in our church lobby. You know, I can be the guy that's that's gonna go out of my way at the store to ask the cashier, hey, how you doing today? Can I pray for you? And and if I don't get that alone time, if I don't get a chance to recharge and really seek God's direction, then I find I'm not as effective when I'm in the crowd. You know, I mentioned this in our last podcast when we were talking about fasting, but whenever I'm faced with a big decision where I'm really trying to hear God's direction for my life or, or just making the choice that honors Him, I'll often go out for a night sometimes two nights in the mountains and just camp solo just just me and my little tent and my buddy heater if it's cold and and the bible and you know I'll do a lot of hiking a lot of praying a lot of of reading his word in fact every year around new year's eve I, I go away for an overnighter 
My wife has always been, again, gracious enough to support me in this. And I, I go away and what I've done for the last five or six years, I ask God to give me kind of a verse for the coming year, uh, it, it, almost a theme verse, if you will, for what what he really wants me to focus on in the coming year. And that has been, I think that's been one of the biggest reasons that I'm not burnt out. You know, we, we've had some changes in our staff, right, Brian, at our church and some of us are wearing multiple hats and it'd be really easy to get burnt out, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm just as excited mm-hmm. to be in, in the ministry and in the opportunity that we have as ever. And I think those regular times of solitude are a big reason for that. Yeah, John, I could, I can hear some of the men listening to this saying, well, you guys are both pastors. So it makes sense that you, you know, you can like, I mean, look, this is in the Bible. So it makes sense that you can justify this. You could do this midweek even. I'm sure some of the times you get away, it's midweek. What would you say to guys? I mean, I feel bad for some of these guys. You're, you're in the middle of your career. You're building your career. You're working hard. You're driving hard. You're going, you know, you're going to work all, you know, Monday through Friday, maybe even sometimes on the weekends. And and you're you you're trying to raise your kids at the same time. And you're saying, I'm not really even sure where I would get a half a day. I'm not sure where that would be because it would be at the expense of my kids. And I'm trying to be a good dad at home or be at the expense of my wife. I don't know. Do you have some wisdom for the average guy out there that can't relate to what we're talking about? Yeah, I, I think so. Let me let me read a verse first, guys, that I think will help you. Romans 12, 2. Paul tells us, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So I think you can take this discipline of solitude and you can combine it with prayer and with time in the word. So so even your your quiet time in the morning guys that that counts. You know, if you're if you've got a room in your home where you're getting up and and it's just you and God in his word and you and God in prayer and you know maybe it's 15 or 20 minutes, it's not half a day like I mentioned, but that that's solitude. That's incorporating solitude. You don't have to go out into the wilderness to experience solitude. You can do it right there at your home. Any place that's going to get you away from distractions, uh, any place that's going to get you away from the voices of the world, from the voices of others for a period of time is solitude. And then I go back to the prioritizing thing that I mentioned a little bit earlier, where we talked about, you have to learn how to say no, just just don't get stuck in the trap that so many men get stuck into. I'm going to call it the American dream trap. That if I'm not always progressing in my job, if I'm not always on track to make more money, if I'm not always hitting bonuses, if I'm not always doing these things, then somehow my life is less. That That's a lie from the enemy. Now, again, work hard. The Bible tells us to, to work as unto the Lord. So when you're on the clock, men, Man, you should give it everything you have. You should work as hard as you can work. But you don't have to say yes to everything. You don't have to do all the extra stuff. Um, no, no when to take some time away. Okay, so we've talked about we've talked about slowing, and it just uh, it's probably time to reveal to our listeners that these are all S's. You know that there there are four disciplines related to pacing that are all S's. We just couldn't help ourselves. We're pastors, so. We have, we've talked about slowing, we've talked about solitude, and the next one is silence. And this one might be the weirdest of all of them, that, you know, 
that the, the idea that silence is choosing not to speak so that you can hear God, from, you can hear from God, you can learn to submit. Um, this probably sounds like a, like a monk's thing, not a modern man's thing. Like, so you're telling me that I, that there should be times in my week or in my month or in my year where I actually take like a vow of silence. Like I, I don't say a word. Is this what we're talking about in this part? Well, we're talking about that for, for a time. So, you know, we're not saying that you need to take a vow of silence like you might envision a monk doing in a monastery for, for years, but there's a lot of scripture to back this up. I mean, in Ecclesiastes 3, you know, it talks about the different seasons. It says there's a time to be quiet and a time to speak. And I think for some of us, it's a lot easier than others. So some of us, first of all, are verbal processors. I recognize that I'm a verbal processor. When my wife and I have conflict, when we have to make a decision, I have to talk about it to make the decision. She has to go away and think about it. She's a nonverbal processor. So as you can imagine, that has caused, <laughs> that has caused some strain over the years. Uh, so so I, I understand, guys, that sometimes you have a need to, to talk through things. We're, again, we're not saying you're always silent. I think, too, some of us especially if you're dealing with insecurity, you feel this need to be a part of every conversation. You know, if you're in a room of guys you respect and you're not contributing to the conversation, you feel like they're going to judge you and feel like you're somehow less than. I remember that that was me. As a, as a teenager, I was always trying to show that I was worthy. I was always trying to show that my input was valid. I remember it sounds like a simple story, maybe a silly story, but I was on vacation with my best friend and his family. They had invited me to go with them. We were in North Carolina, and my best friend's sister asked her dad a question about a movie that was out. And then she said, oh, who stars in that? Now, keep in mind, this was a, this was a conversation between her and her dad. I was not invited into the conversation. And she said, who stars in that? And I jumped in and I said, Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in that. And I remember my best friend's dad, who also happened to be my Sunday school teacher for years. So he had, he had earned the right to speak into my life. He just stopped right then and there and said, why did you do that? Why did you feel the need to jump in and answer a question that she directed to me? Every conversation doesn't have to involve you, John. Now, when he first said it, I was ticked. I was like, I can't, I can't believe you called me out like that. But, but he was so gracious later that night, you know, we talked more and he, uh, man, I get emotional. He, uh, he just reminded me of my worth, that my identity was in Jesus. My identity wasn't in how smart I was or how much I knew. Mm. And that, that was a turning point for me. I mean, I still can talk too much, as those of you who listen to this podcast probably know, but I don't, I don't feel the pull, Brian, to be involved or at the center of every conversation like I used to. It's a lot easier for me to choose silence. Yeah, honestly, so much of this, this discipline of pacing really has to do with looking inside and recognizing you don't have to try to be in control. You don't, you, th this one silence reminds me of slowing. It's like this, it brings up the same things in me, like you're saying, John, that it points out my insecurity. It points out my 
my desire to control things. It's like a selfish life tempts us to use our words to control things. And that's why silence is so valuable. It's like taking the long path to the golf course or to work is you're saying, I'm, I'm going to submit myself. It's almost like about submission. I'm going to submit myself to someone bigger than me, someone greater than me. I'm going to practice this. I'm going to try not to control things. I'm, I'm going to try not to signal my value and my worth. You know, you mentioned Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It's evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises. Don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you're here on earth. So let your words be few. Man, for some of our listeners, you probably need to write that down, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 and 2. And it really is about, it's about knowing who you are. It's about knowing who God is. And I think, I think some of the wisest, godliest people say the fewest words, use the fewest words in conversations because they're not trying to control anything. They're leaving it up to God. Another passage that I think speaks to this is Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. I mean, that seems the complete opposite of what culture would say. How many in our culture equate strength with quietness? I think of the political debates that are going on. You know, we're heading into an election year. Man, and I'm not picking a side. I'm not, this isn't a Democrat or Republican. This is just an overall saying, but how better off would we be if we could just vote on the track record of the candidates instead of all the garbage they spew out of their mouths at these debates that 90% on both sides of the aisle have no intention of following through on. Culture has told us that he who speaks the loudest and most often is the one that we should listen to. And that's just... That's just not biblical. That's not true. Now, I do think we need to be careful, Brian, like you talked about at the beginning. We're not saying to just be apathetic here. Like, I want to make sure our listeners don't use silence as a crutch to not engage. Because I would imagine there are a lot of wives out there who would say, well, that's all my husband ever does is silent. <laughs> you know, he, he comes home. He doesn't, he doesn't engage with mm. me in conversation. He doesn't engage with the kids. He's, he's tired. He's had a long day and, mm. and he's not using his words at all. What, what we're saying is we need to choose our words wisely and we need to not feel the need to speak for validation. And even, even sometimes, John, in your you know, some people think of prayer. We we talked about the discipline of prayer, but some people think of prayer as just me talking to God the whole time. So even just learning in in relationship to God that I'm going to, boy, this is so hard for people to do, but I'm going to just be silent. I'm going to spend some time being silent. Maybe, again, this kind of goes with the slowing and the solitude is when you do get a chance to get away. And it might even be just in your commute, you sit by yourself on the train and that's that's where you get some solitude and some silence and it's just learning how to listen it's learning how to yield to god it's learning how to listen you know you're not going to hear an audible voice but you might get i don't know john maybe you can speak to this like how do you hear from god when you when you're silent before him when you take your hikes well more often through scripture than through like an audible voice as you mentioned so the beautiful thing about you know, about technology now is I've got the U version on my phone and I've downloaded the Bible part of it. So even when I'm in the mountains out of cell service, 
I can't, I can't play it where I can listen to the audible, but I can read it. So I can read God's word anywhere, you know, 11,000 feet in the middle of nowhere, I can read God's word. So that's, that's typically when I, when I would say I hear from him, he'll make a verse just really jump out on the page. He'll, he'll cause a verse or a theme and a passage to be repeated. And, and I'm like, okay, I, I, I see the repetition. I think this is what God's trying to communicate to me. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I, I rarely, rarely hear what I would call the audible voice of God or even close to the audible voice of God. So it's not typically that. And I'll just see it in creation, you know, being, being one of the reasons I like my solitude in the mountains is I, I feel small. It reminds me of how big God is and how small I am and, and how worrying and all the different things that can happen to me in the hustle and bustle are just a, it's just a waste of time right? That, that I can just trust. I don't want to give away the ending, but I think all of these disciplines really boil down to trust. Hmm. Okay. So let's get, let's get to the last S. So we've talked about slowing, solitude, silence. And the last part of really this discipline, this overarching discipline of pacing is Sabbath. And, and when, John, when someone hears the word Sabbath today, they're like, whoa, wait a second. That sounds Old Testament. That sounds like Old Covenant stuff. I, we're not, wait, we don't have to keep the Sabbath, right? What are we, what are we talking about here? Well, I, I do believe that as New Testament Christians, we're not obligated to observe the Sabbath per se, but the principle of Sabbath, God created as a, as a blessing to us. You know, God created this rhythm of having time on a regular basis set aside for God and set aside for rest, and it carries so many benefits. So our our Sabbath is likely going to look a little different than what was practiced in the Old Testament. You know, we're not going to we're not going to probably Sabbath from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. Ours is going to look different, but I would highly encourage the listeners today, the men out there today, to try and incorporate a rhythm of Sabbath in your life. So Genesis 2, this is where this concept first shows up in Scripture. It says in verse 2, on the seventh day, this is after at the end of creation, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because, because it was the day when he rested from all of his work in creation. John, was, was God tired? He, you know, he's, he took six days to create. Was he tired? Is that why he rested? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, God spoke the world into existence. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't dragging planets into place with a rope. So, I mean, God doesn't get tired, right? God is all powerful. So God doesn't get tired. I think the purpose in, in Genesis 2, 2 here is it's setting a pattern for us. And we see this really throughout the Bible that, that the idea of a Sabbath was to be a blessing for us. So if we fast forward into the New Testament where the religious leaders had turned Sabbath into a burden, they, they had messed it up. They had taken this great thing God had given and they put so many requirements on it that it was a burden to the people. And so Jesus addresses that in Mark 2, verse 27 and 28. It says, then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath was always meant to be for our good. Having a day where we set aside a, a larger amount of time to focus on God, uh, to be with His people, to get away from the normal grind of what our work week is like, 
is meant to bless us. I think this is another great example. There's so many of these in the Bible where God's boundaries are for our good. You know, this idea of, hey, only work six days a week is not because God just likes to tell us no. Uh, it's, It's for our good. He knows what's best for us. And I think the principle of Sabbath, again, even though it may look a little differently for us the way we practice it, the principle of Sabbath is good. Romans 14, 5 says, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. And Paul writes, you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. So John, is that a is that a passage that we can apply to this concept of Sabbath? Again, for the Jewish people, Sabbath was a Saturday, right? We A lot of people think that it was a Sunday, but actually it was a sa- Saturday. Saturday was their Sabbath day. Is there a specific day of the week that God wants us to set aside for his purposes? I don't know if I'd say there's a specific day that God wants us to set aside. I think for many of us, Sunday makes sense. It's practical. You know, more businesses are closed on Sunday than than other days. Um, if you're a part of a local congregation, if you worship at a local church, which you should if you're a follower of Jesus, it, it's already the day where you're setting aside a significant amount of time to to worship, you know, through prayer, through music, through a sermon, being in the word. So I think for a lot of people, you know, yeah, Sunday makes sense. But it's not a command. It's not a requirement. In, in Romans 14, Paul is, I think he's talking about not only Sabbath, but also the religious festivals that the Jews were you know, called to celebrate. So it, it's more than just the, the Sabbath in that passage that he's addressing, but certainly I think Sabbath is part of it. And, and I think Paul's talking about how we should be spirit-led in it. He says, you should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. So again, Paul's not saying Sabbath isn't important. He just seems to be giving us some some wiggle room here that the day of the week we celebrate it isn't critical. That but whatever day you pick, you should be fully convinced that that's acceptable. So, for example, you and I are both in ministry vocationally. Sunday is not a Sabbath for me. It's just not. Sunday is one of the busiest days of the week for me. And so I need to find another day in the week where where I can experience Sabbath and Again, full disclosure to our listeners, this is an area where I need to get better. Uh, I tend not to take an entire day off. I've, I've just been in that stage in my, with my family and my kids and, and sports and things like that, where, where my Sabbath has looked more like, you know, four or five hours off multiple days because I'm going to their ball game or going to their, but even that's really probably not Sabbath. You know, I mean, I'm not working, but it's, it's really probably not the idea of Sabbath that God's talking about where we get away for rest, where we spend longer periods of time in his word or in prayer. Um, so that that's something I'm still working on. That's something I'm trying to get better at. So John, overall, what how would you like how would you frame this overall? This idea these these disciplines under the category of pacing, slowing, solitude, silence, Sabbath. Like what are in your mind, what are these all about? Like what would you say is at the root of all of these disciplines? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that I think if we'd had this conversation 20, 25 years ago, I, I don't think I would have answered it the, the same way. But I think the way I'm going to answer today is the correct answer. I, I think the struggle with pacing for most men comes down to trust. Do I really trust God to meet my needs? 
do I trust God to provide for my family or am I providing for my family? Because if I'm providing for my family and that sales call comes in at 540 on a Friday and I'm already 40 minutes late, you know, as far as quitting time and I know my wife has dinner on the table, but I feel like I have to close that big deal. I'm probably going to stick around and take that other call. But if I'm like, hey, I can trust God. I've worked hard all week. I've, you know, I've honored my boss in the way I've I've worked. I've worked as unto the Lord. And it's 540 and I promised my wife I'm gonna be home for dinner. I'm heading out. And that call is just gonna have to wait till Monday. Do do I trust that God wants the best for me? Do I trust that the best life isn't always the life with the most toys and the most money? Because if I really trust that what God wants is the best for me, it's going to be a lot easier to incorporate some of these pacing disciplines. And I would submit, men, that that will actually lead to a more full and more abundant life than the fast-paced life most of us are trying to keep up with. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us. When you do that, that way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.